The Catholic Gateway Podcast is now on iTunes and Google Play. Just search for Catholic Gateway Podcast or Archdiocese of St. Louis to find us. Please rate us, listen to us, share us with your friends. The parish likes to, to look at kind of the bigger picture. A priest is an altar priest. They just go, go, go. In the zeal full of Jesus Christ. There is compassion for poor people. And it has this beautiful historic church. Heaven coming down to earth. Thanks be to God. From the Rome of the West, this is the Catholic Gateway Podcast, your audio gateway into the Archdiocese of St. Louis. On each episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast, we'll tell the stories about the interesting people, places, and events that make up the Archdiocese of St. Louis. We'll also give an update on Catholic news, courtesy of the reporters from the St. Louis Review and Catholic St. Louis Magazine, the official publications of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So with trust in the Holy Spirit, let's begin. Hello and welcome to a special pre-election day episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. I'm your host, Gabe Jones. Well, it should be obvious that it is election season, which means Americans will be heading to the polls on Tuesday, November 8th to cast our votes for candidates, judges, and ballot measures at all levels of government. For Catholics, this responsibility to vote ought to weigh more heavily on our consciences because of the profound moral obligations inherent in the act of choosing our laws and leaders. Thankfully, we have many tools at our disposal to help form our consciences, including the catechism and numerous writings on this topic by Catholic bishops and theologians. In fact, our very own Archbishop Robert Carlson recently wrote a series of columns in the St. Louis Review specifically about this. Those columns have been compiled into a very short 12-page booklet called Viewing Election Issues Through a Lens of Faith. Hard copies are available from the St. Louis Review, or you can download the booklet and see many other resources at archstl.org vote. Now, for most of us, forming our consciences is something we have to do sort of on our own. We have to find the resources we need, research however we can, and gather the best information we know how in order to form our consciences. But on October 20th, high school seniors in the Catholic high schools of the Archdiocese, most of whom were soon to be first-time voters, were given a very special opportunity to attend an event called a Teach-In, sponsored by the Peace and Justice Commission of the Archdiocese, where they would learn more about forming their consciences from some experts in Catholic social teaching and moral theology, as well as learn some basic information about voting rules and regulations. Most Catholics don't have an opportunity to attend an event like that. But because you're listening to this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast, you do. The teach-in on October 20th was a couple hours long, so we had to edit out a lot of it. What we have included, we hope, will give you, the listener, some assistance in forming your conscience for this election coming up on November 8th and in future elections. So as we begin, here's Marie Kenyon, Director of the Peace and Justice Commission, on why they wanted to hold this event. So they are thoughtful voters. And when they go into the voting booth, they actually have thought about, um, you know, their values and what they're hearing from the candidates and how what candidate best represents their values and to remind them as Catholics what our values are. So what, what are we doing here today? 
Well, we are here because as Catholics, we are called to be faithful disciples. Well, what does that mean, being a faithful disciple? Well, for us, it means being an active community member because it's really important is, as Catholics, we just don't have an obligation in our church on Sundays, we have an obligation to the outside world. We have an obligation to take care of the world. We have an obligation to respect all human life. We have an obligation to promote peace and justice. The work that we do on the outside is very, very important, and it's what helps us become faithful disciples. The Peace and Justice Commission definitely thinks one of our primary goals is to do education and to have our church talk about issues affecting our community. And we knew that this election coming up, there's just been so much in the secular press and social media um, about what's going on and the issues and just a lot of noise, constant noise, and we thought it was important to, especially for first-time voters, just to sort of get together and have a conversation about, okay, well, how do we vote as Catholics? What are our values? What should we be thinking about when we walk into the polling place? Because you're hearing so much noise from all these different people, and just a chance for us to get together and sort of regroup. One of the things that we need to do is we need to have our voice heard on certain issues, issues that are important to us in our community. And one of the ways that we do that is through voting. The speakers at the events included Sister Paulette Zimmerman of the School Sisters of Notre Dame, who addressed environmental issues in light of Pope Francis's encyclical Laudato Si, Chris Wallentick, an attorney with Catholic Legal Assistance Ministry, who delved into the issues of immigration and refugees, and Dr. Sean Welch, an assistant professor of moral theology, who gave a primer on voting as a faithful Catholic. The students were also given plenty of time to have group discussions in between presentations. But the first speaker of the day was Dr. Ed Hogan, professor of systematic theology at Kendrick Glennon Seminary and director of the Paul VI Catechetical Institute. Let me start today with an apology. In this election, you have inherited the sins of your parents. Now that's been true since Adam and Eve, but that doesn't excuse it. The potential greatness of any generation is proportional to the mess they have inherited. Their actual greatness is a product of how they handle it. Looking at the mess we've given you, I can say with confidence that you can be very great. I hope you will rise to the challenge. Dr. Hogan provided a sound and powerful synopsis of Catholic teaching on the life issues. He specifically addressed abortion, the death penalty, and physician-assisted suicide, or euthanasia. I do not contend that these are the only issues. I know there are others, you know there are others, that's why we have other speakers. Regarding abortion, the Archbishop says in this pamphlet, which you have, abortion remains the number one issue that weighs on the Catholic conscience in every election. Why is that? Because abortion is the direct destruction of innocent human life on a massive scale. In the US alone, it involves the death of almost a million children every year. He says, when the powerful can eliminate the vulnerable and society is told to look the other way, 
Something has gone drastically wrong. This is why elections are so important, he said, because it is our elected officials who make decisions regarding abortion laws, policies, and appointments, both to courts and within administrations. With some candidates, especially on the state level, legislation on abortion is in play. Even when legislation on abortion is not in play, policy matters, cabinet appointments matter, and court appointments matter. This is especially true of federal office holders. So when you vote on candidates for federal office, you are also voting on the Supreme Court when it comes to the life issues. For a Catholic conscience, that's a significant thing to think about. We don't have time in this podcast to review every aspect of the church's teaching on abortion and the nuances of political considerations, but it is very straightforward, as Dr. Hogan said. Abortion is always a grave moral evil, and Catholics cannot support it. If you want more information on this topic, please read the Lens of Faith booklet mentioned earlier, which can be found at archstl.org vote, or visit the Respect Life Apostolate's website at stlrespectlife.org. We'll touch a little more on abortion later. But now back to Dr. Hogan and the next life issue, the death penalty. Here's what the Catechism says. The traditional teaching of the church does not exclude recourse to the death penalty if this is the only possible way of effectively defending human lives against the unjust aggressor. If, however, non-lethal means are sufficient to defend and protect people's safety from the aggressor, authority will limit itself to such means. Today, and here it's quoting from John Paul II, the cases in which the execution of the offender is an absolute necessity are very rare, if not practically non-existent. Now note the catechism does not say it's okay to execute the guilty. The catechism says it's okay to stop the aggressor. That is deliberate and careful language in the catechism. Okay, but you might be thinking, Aren't abortion and the death penalty equally life issues for a Catholic? Yes, they are both life issues. But how many abortions were performed last year in the United States? The answer is about 1 million, and more than 55 million since 1973, compared to 28 executions last year and less than 1,500 since 1975. The number of deaths from abortion and the number of deaths from the death penalty are objectively different, and that difference in number factors into the weight that we give each issue. Second, the issues differ in moral kind. Abortion is the directly willed killing of the innocent. The death penalty is the directly willed killing of those found guilty in a court of law. So yes, the church is opposed to both abortion and the death penalty. They are both life issues for us but they do not carry the same weight because the issues differ in number and kind. And that raises an important question for you. How do you consider all the issues, but give each one its proper weight? That's something that you need to consider. As if that wasn't enough, the last issue for Dr. Hogan, physician-assisted suicide, is also important for Catholic voters to consider. It's not yet a major issue in Missouri, but in other areas of the country, it is now legal and will likely become an increasingly common occurrence. What makes it so wrong? 
C.S. Lewis said, in the end, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those who say to God, my will be done. All her life, Mary said, thy will be done. At her Annunciation, she gave her whole self, body and soul, into the hands of the Father. And then when it was time for her to do it again when she died, it was as simple as falling asleep. She placed her body and soul in the hands of the Father and said, Thy will be done. And she fell asleep. In the end, physician-assisted suicide says, My will be done. And it makes our final act in this life an act of asserting our dominion over our souls and our bodies. And that is why Catholics must oppose it, including by voting for political leaders who will not support it. All right, that's a lot to consider. And that was just one issue. There's much more. Uh, Monsignor Jack Schuler and I met at Catholic Charities, St. Louis, and uh, also at Incarnate Word Parish in Chesterfield. So I live with the rich and I work for the poor. Monsignor Schuler shared with the students four basic principles of the church's teaching on economic issues. I'm going to summarize all of Catholic social teaching in six words. First one is human dignity, which means we're created in God's image. Because we're created in God's image, we deserve the respect that entails, especially the right to life, as Dr. Hogan addressed earlier. The next principle Monsignor Schuler outlined was the promotion of the common good. So whatever is going on, whatever we're doing, should contribute to making people better, that our neighbors should move more and more towards their fulfillment. And so that uh, goes with those two. If you don't have common good, you're not going to have human dignity. And if you have dignity, you're not going to have common good. The third principle, solidarity, in short, means that we should work together to achieve the common good. Merriam-Webster defines solidarity as, quote, a feeling of unity between people who have the same interests, goals, etc. So we have human dignity, common good, and solidarity. Finally, one you may never have heard of, subsidiarity, which means that uh, all decisions are made closest to the action, okay? So if a decision can be made in the community, then the community makes it and not the state. If made in the state, the state makes it instead of the federal government. So no matter where you are in terms of your schools or whatever, those that are closest to the action should have the input. Part of my background is that I lived in Africa, uh, ministered there in Africa, and uh, too many people were coming over to Africa telling them what to do without checking with them. And so uh, billions of dollars were wasted because they didn't ask the people what was best. Monsignor said the work that Catholic Charities does is grounded in these four principles, and that's why they do so much work to help the poor in our community. By the way, if you missed the recent episode about Catholic Charities' new initiative, Pathways to Progress, you should go listen to that as soon as you finish this episode. Monsignor said that even though poverty is a major issue, these four principles are unfortunately not shared by everyone. Poverty is a tremendous issue. I do some lobbying in Jeff City sometimes, and uh, we're the minority, those that care about the poor in Jefferson City. Uh, each year at Catholic Charities, we're fighting not to lose, not so much to gain. They just keep taking away what we need in order to serve our clients. And that is another thing to consider. Which candidates are going to support these four main principles of human dignity, common good, solidarity, and subsidiarity? In closing, Monsignor suggested mercy as a solution to some of the problems we're facing today. 
Here's why. The best definition I've ever seen on mercy is uh, from a Jesuit, James Keenan, who said, mercy is the willingness to enter into the chaos of another person's life. I think it's pretty obvious we have a lot of chaos. <laughs> we need some people to enter into that chaos with these kinds of principles. And that will help to, to clear the way so that our, our world is uh, one that we can say is moving closer together instead of further apart. All of the speakers provided a lot for the students in attendance to mull over. Abortion, immigration policies, environmental issues, and so on are all complex issues. So in between speakers, groups of students and teachers were given a discussion prompt and encouraged to engage in dialogue as a way to work through some of the topics. Here's what Olivia from Narinx Hall, Audrey from St. Joseph's Academy, and Max from CBC had to share when considering how Catholics should not only oppose evil, but do good. Um, well, I think that opposing evil and doing good kind of go hand in hand in the sense of like if you're just against something but you aren't actually doing anything to improve it, then what are you really doing? It just, it's like, do you respect the living or like the people we're killing? So it's definitely like a difficult, um, a difficult thing. And I think progress does need to come with sacrifice occasionally and I think this might just be one of those times. John Powell, a teacher at Villa Duchenne, shared some encouragement. Because I know a lot of us maybe have this cognitive dissonance about this election and who to vote for, but ultimately you pray about it and then you, and then you act and you try to do your best. And I think that God sees that if you're trying to do your best in terms of, of doing the right thing. At another table, the students were considering what it means to participate in political life. Here's Henry a student at Bishop de Berg. I just think it's uh, important for us all to do our research and d uh, really discover what we're voting for and the issues, because uh, you can't rely on like the commercials and everything that you see on TV because half the time they're completely wrong or just false. And uh, I think it's our duty to uh, really uh, find out what we're voting for. Dr. Brian Holt, a teacher at Cordiezu, reminded the students at the table to think about more than just the top of the ticket. I mean, Dr. Hogan, one of the things he did talk about was that you have to think about how to apply principles beyond the presidential race. And we put probably disproportionate attention on the presidential race when, as Monsignor Schuler talked about, decision-making, keeping it close to the action, a lot of things like that. Those potential amendments are closer to your action than perhaps the presidential race. Another teacher, Kathleen Steinhardt from Ursuline, suggested taking some of these general principles and issues and individualizing them. She used the example of Syrian refugees here in St. Louis. Um, they're living in these really terrible conditions, like they got out of the war-torn Syria and they came here to St. Louis and they're in like this really dangerous, terrible place where they're living now. Um, so I think it's I think it's good to sort of um, to take it apart from the issue itself to individuals. Buddy, a Priory student, said participation in politics is important 
because his generation is going to be impacted in the long term. We are the generation that's going to be affected like greatly by this election just because we'll be entering into like the prime of our lives. We're like getting jobs, figuring everything out. We're going to be like main workforce and, you know, just making sure that we know what we're voting for, or who we believe, what we believe and stuff. And I just think that we need to be more just conscious of like what's going on and uh, just to see like how not only will this affect our next four years, but how it will affect the rest of our lives. Christian, another student at Priory, observed that participation in politics needs to be guided by more than mere self-interest. Most people think, they don't think morally about a lot of things, they just think what's right for me, what's what I think is right, but not like, teach, like teaching from truth, like in uh, Gospels or Scripture or anything, like more, like what's morally correct, like abortion and stuff. It's a lot of, it takes a lot of work and effort. After hearing all the speakers and participating in all the discussions, Kyle, a CBC student, shared with me what he got out of the experience. Like coming out today, I think sitting together with uh, the different groups of people and just kind of exchanging ideas and stuff, it, uh, it was an eye-opening experience as to uh, you know voting and, and what we need to look at and see what really matters. We're in school, so you know homework's a big thing. That's a, a part of what we do. So you gotta do your homework on the candidates. Don't, uh, don't let one particular issue that you personally uh, take to heart define what, uh, what you vote for, or who you vote for, you know, look, look at the bigger picture and see, you know, how it's going to affect us over time. And his favorite part? Uh, I, I liked uh, hearing the different speakers, uh, some really good speakers, obviously some very educated people. We had a couple of doctors come up, uh, we had an immigration attorney come up, so hearing their perspective and, and being in company with some real, uh, real intelligent people was great. Coryezu students Annalise and Molly said their favorite part was the talk about respecting the environment and... Today it was just really interesting to hear um, the church's like official stances on things like immigration and the environment. Um, I enjoyed the discussion time a lot. I think it was great how they presented a viewpoint, but they didn't tell us exactly what to think. They allowed us to process it and say what we believed. I thought that was really great. Even though I'm not able to vote this year, I still, like at school, um, I purposely took an elective for American government politics so that I'm aware of like what's going on, like how the system works, how our politics run, and how it's been over like the years and years to come. That's Michaela, a St. Joseph's Academy student. Michaela was excited about the day because she wants to be involved in the political process. It's just important, I think, to like stay informed and even though youth like may not feel like our voice is heard because like most people in politics are like older and adults usually do the voting and like regulate like oh these policies are going to be passed and whatnot but it's just important I think I mean our voice our voices are important because like we are the future we're told and I just believe in that. It's the thought of the future and the young church that makes Marie Kenyon and the Peace and Justice Commission want to continue doing events like this. We really like doing things where we invite all our schools. And so kids, you know, you would hope that all the schools themselves are having these conversations, which they are. But it's also a chance for all of us, uh, for the schools to get together and talk to kids from other schools who may not be hearing the same thing or different, you know, different parts of the diocese, different economic backgrounds, different you know, uh, diverse backgrounds. It's for them to meet other students their age who, and sort of get their impression too. And so that's why we decided to do it. You know, we also think it's good to get 
kids into the Regali Center and see the head of, you know, the, the seat of our church in this diocese, and this is corporate headquarters, and you're always welcome here. And, you know, but because we, if we don't get the young church involved in the work that we're doing, it's meaningless. If we really look at change in our society, you know, the, the kids who were out in the streets in Ferguson, they were these kids' age. They were high schoolers. They were young, you know, young adults. They weren't people in their 60s my age. And so if we really want to make a change, if the commission really wants to have an impact, we think the, the young church is a crucial piece. So anything we can do to engage the young church. Um, and with our high schools, we have a captive audience. So we're lucky that way. You're listening to the Catholic Gateway Podcast. If you've listened to the podcast before, it's in this second segment that you're used to hearing from one of the reporters with the St. Louis Review. Well, we're changing that up a little bit on this special pre-election episode. You just heard from some high school students who are going to be first-time voters this time around, but there's going to be another first-time voter in this election who has a little more life experience and could give us some insight into forming our Catholic consciences for voting. Yes, I'm uh, a new American citizen naturalized just at the end of August, and so I'll be voting along with the young 18-year-old kids uh, in our country for the first time in this election. This is Father Brian Harrison, chaplain at St. Mary of Victories in downtown St. Louis. I've been living in American territory, uh, including Puerto Rico, where I was for 16 years, a total of about 27 years now. I moved to St. Louis nine years ago, and after I was here for about eight, about a year ago, I decided really this is my home now and I'd like to be able to participate fully in the community of my, my newly adopted country. So I applied for citizenship and was uh, granted naturalization at the end of August. Although Father Harrison will be voting for the first time as a United States citizen, he has previously voted in his native Australia. Australia is one of the few countries in the world where you have compulsory voting. So you don't have to have all the hassle and expense and campaign uh, hoo-ha of getting out the vote because everyone's got to get out and vote anyway. Your name's on the registered list there. If you, if you, when you vote, it's crossed off. Your name ends up not crossed off. You'll get a note with a $50 fine from the government for not voting. And I think really it's quite a good idea because our, our Catholic doctrine tells us that we not only may but, but should, as a, morally, we're, we're obliged to vote where we have that precious right to vote because the church's social doctrine uh, teaches very clearly that we are responsible for the common good of our our community uh, using our own prudential judgment as as citizens and uh, not just for our own personal and private good and so we have a, a moral obligation to vote when we have that right so in Australia, we just make legally binding what's, what's, what's morally binding anyway. If you think Father is excited about voting as a U.S. citizen, you'd be right. I've been driving around the, gee, this, this, this great country, it's now my country. And uh, that's, that's, that's a great privilege, a great feeling. And uh, I'm certainly very um, grateful to God that I have this opportunity now to take part in the civic life and do what I can to promote the the public good of this uh, the great nation. I've always been very much interested in politics, even though you know, my primary vocation is a priest in the church. But um, our social doctrine makes it very clear that we have to be very much concerned for the, the common good. So there is this 
moral requirement when we're able to, to exercise our right to vote. And prayerfully, after asking God to help us weigh all the issues and um, come to a responsible decision. Weighing all those issues, as we've already heard on this podcast, is not an easy task. But Father Harrison says it's a lot easier if we remember there is a hierarchy of moral issues. We shouldn't be just probably just single-issue voters in a narrow sense. We need to take into account all the major issues, but at the same time remember that not all of the issues are equally important. And we have to remember that uh, there's definitely a hierarchy of values in our uh, Christian Catholic teaching and the biblical teaching that we share with uh, at least Orthodox Jewish brethren who seriously believe in the, the Hebrew Scriptures. And one of these is, of course, that the most fundamental right of all is the right to live, the right to life. And we're in a society today in which that is threatened on various levels. You do have to take into account, of course, how much difference this candidate in the position for which they're being elected, how much difference they can make anyway. And it may be that in some situations a candidate who's weak on pro-life issues, but in a, in a jurisdiction where there's not going to be anything much they can do about that, if they were very good on a lot of other issues, then you might make a prudent judgment that possibly could outweigh it. The important thing to remember is that not all issues are equal, and there is room for disagreement. Good Catholics can have legitimately different views. The Church doesn't and cannot try to lay down detailed policies for things like economics and diplomacy with foreign countries and um, what's the best system of health insurance because the church itself is not is not given a mandate by Jesus Christ for expertise in these areas. This is precisely why we need Catholic lay people who are going to be experts in this more than the clergy like me. Um, so all these have to be taken into account. But what about when things are not so clear-cut? especially when candidates themselves are not particularly appealing. Uh, yes, in this particular election, uh, as we all know, there's been a lot of problems and the particular moral character of the two principal candidates has been nothing uh, particularly stellar, to put it rather mildly. On the other hand, um, I don't think it's a good idea to think of it as some do in terms of, um, you know, will you kind of vote for the lesser of two evils? I think that's an excessively negative way of putting it. Uh, what you do is to try to figure out what, according to my Catholic conscience, are the most important positive good things that I can see in the policies of this or that candidate. And not just for president, of course, but remember to all the other down-ballot votes for senators and congressmen, and this is all very important. Uh, the important thing is to think, you know, what, what are the... Uh, the positive values in the platforms and pledges of the different candidates. And if I can see serious defects in this or that candidate, we should think of that, I think, in terms of the classic Catholic moral principle of the so-called double effect. If we just have a quick rundown on this, the Catholic Church has a long tra tradition of theology as to how to decide what you can, when you can do something that has two effects, a bad effect and a good effect. And you can foresee that like, you want the good effect, but there's also going to be a bad effect. Well, there are certain principles dating back to St. Thomas Aquinas. First of all, 
you can't, what you choose to do can't be something that's, that's intrinsically always and everywhere evil. You know, what, what you actually do, like you can never yourself, you know, directly kill the innocent. That's an example of something that's intrinsically evil. Direct acts of racism are intrinsically evil. Hatred, contempt for another person because of their skin color, uh, that's certainly something intrinsically evil. And an overtly uh, racist candidate, that would be a very big, big strike or more than, more than one strike against them. Or commit adultery, you know, seriously break any of the Ten Commandments. That's the first rule. The second rule is that your intention has to be good. Because it's quite possible sometimes to do something good externally for a bad motive. Okay, first of all, it can't be intrinsically bad what you're doing. Second, your intention should be good. Third, the good effect can't be the result of the bad effect. Because if you do that, it's really another way of doing evil in order that good may come. I'm going to do something bad so that good's going to come out of it. Now, that's very clearly forbidden by the natural moral law and by sacred scripture in St. Paul's letters. So the whole idea of the ends justify the means, right? Exactly. The, a, a good end doesn't justify a bad means. That's a very important moral principle. And fourthly, there has to be a due proportion between the bad effect and the good effect. If it was going, you could foresee that the bad effect was going to be so, so horrendously bad and, and weighty that it would outweigh the little good effect that you could foresee. Well, you really couldn't do it. But that's the kind of thing you need to take into account when we're looking at candidates, wherever they may be on the ballot from president on downwards, who I know their record, what their, what their platform is, and I can see, well, there's some things that are good, other things are bad, and maybe their moral character is uh, questionable going by their track record, what they've said and done. Uh, and so we try to evaluate, weight the different issues there according to their importance and take the attitude, well, now my vote is going to be, it's positive in the sense that I'm voting for this candidate because I believe he or she um, uh, has a preponderance of, of good things uh, that they pledge to get done in comparison with the other candidate, uh, what he or she says, uh, and I'll vote for that reason, while tolerating, let's say, um, foreseeing there's going to be some bad effects that'll probably be happen after all, as Archbishop Carlson said, and we had a priest meeting about this, he said, Jesus is not running for election. The Blessed Mother's not running for There are no perfect candidates and uh, never will be, so we have to take that into account. And, but, but focus on the good policies that we, we are looking for from people, not just saying, well, I'll, you know, they're, they're both evil and uh, I'll vote for the lesser evil. That's a kind of, I think, rather too... Uh, uh, pessimistic way of looking at it. Father Harrison says another way to make things easier is to not worry about so-called separation of church and state. Well, I think one, one very important thing to keep in mind is that the what we call separation of church and state in the U.S. Constitution, the First Amendment, was never intended by the Founding Fathers to mean separation of the state from Christian values, the great Christian Judeo-Christian moral tradition that we've inherited. Uh, the Ten Commandments are binding on public life as much as on our private lives. And uh, there is a, there's been a, a secularist bias, certainly, in, for some decades now in Supreme Court decisions. But Catholics should not feel, well, you know, I have to check in my religion at the door as soon as I go into the, uh, the polling booth. No. 
our Christian values and beliefs uh, are certainly to be very much taken into account uh, when we go into vote because the, you know, the original intention of the Constitution in, in the, the amendment saying that Congress shall make no law in respect of an establishment of religion, that was simply to say that no particular denomination could be the established religion of the United States. It certainly didn't have in mind the idea that we've seen in recent years that religion has to be kept completely out of the public sphere, out of the public square. So yes, we do take into account our Christian and Catholic values. We've already talked a lot about those Christian and Catholic values, but one we haven't talked much about is religious liberty, which is very important. Well, yes, in fact, religious freedom has been quite a specialty of mine. I've written um, two books and quite a few articles about the relationship, how, about how the Vatican II's declaration on religious freedom is not a contradiction of previous church doctrine, as is often said, it's a harmonious development, uh, even though the, the policy, let's say, of the church, the public law or the policy of the church in predominantly Catholic change, uh, predominantly Catholic countries uh, is certainly more tolerant and more open than it was before Vatican II, but it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a contradiction of doctrine. It's a change in policy to allow greater public expression of non-Catholic religions. However, the Vatican II Declaration makes very clear there are limits to religious freedom, but these limits should not be decided on the basis of just whoever happens to get into power, much less on the basis of um, purely secular atheistic values. That was the problem with the, the communist regimes. The time of Vatican II, that was really the big threat to religious liberty. Uh, regimes were saying, well, yeah, you have religious liberty, but within the limits of what the party sets down, which was gravely restrictive. Uh, the Vatican II uh, declaration says, there were words inserted by then Cardinal Wojtyla of Krakow, later Pope John, Saint Pope, Pope Saint John Paul II. He insisted, and his amendment was suggested, that you have to put in something there that any limits on religious freedom have to be decided according to norms that comply with the objective moral order. Now, the objective moral order means first and foremost the natural moral law that God has inscribed in our hearts. It can also refer in some cases to divine positive law, what God has revealed. But, but uh, in the present historical context, that means certainly uh, the natural moral law and again, the fundamental principle of, uh, when we're talking about human rights is the right to life. There's also um, a right to marry, and that means authentic marriage between a man and a woman. But um, the religious freedom which the church insists on uh, certainly does not allow for the kind of restrictions that are being pushed now. People uh, are now being fined being driven out of business because they simply uphold uh, respectfully in their private businesses and professions the natural moral law, which of course is also the teaching of the church about what real marriage is. And this is something very, very important that we have to take into account. The responsibility of voting may seem like a daunting task, especially for first-time voters, but it doesn't have to be. How so? Well, first of all, just to, um, as, as in my own case, appreciate how important this is, appreciate what a privilege you have now as a responsible citizen of your country, 
to contribute in a very important way to the public life and the common good of the country. Uh, that would be my main um, concern. So with all that being said, what advice does Father Harrison have for first-time voters, especially those who are high school and college students? I'd suggest again to the young voters voting for the first time, um, ask the Lord to help you guide your, your first vote because it's a tremendously important des, uh, decision and, be, and give thanks to God that you've got that privilege and that right and ask for guidance in making up your mind seriously and try to uh, weight the different issues keeping in mind um, the weight that the Catholic Church and, our, and in fact the natural moral law, not just only Catholicism, uh, but the natural law that we, we all know that that um, human life is, is sacred and that robbery, lying, adultery, aggression, the certain things that our own hearts and our conscience tell us are, are bad and we, we don't want to promote them. But take all these factors into account. Uh, ask God to help you make a prudent choice and exercise your right, right, right to vote with pride and optimism and enthusiasm glad that you're able to contribute something to the common good of this country. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. We always welcome story tips and ideas for the podcast. Just send them to communications at archstl.org. That's communications at archstl.org. Make sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with what's going on here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Archdiocese of St. Louis. We're on Twitter, at ArchSTL is our handle there, at ArchSTL. And we're on Instagram, at CatholicSTL. And you should follow the St. Louis Review there on Facebook. Also, Twitter and Instagram under the handle, at St. Louis Review. That's S.T. Lewis Review. The Catholic Gateway Podcast is a production of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. I'm your host, Gabe Jones. We hope you'll join us again next time here in the Gateway to the West, the Rome of the West, Catholic St. Louis. (laughs) 